Welcome to the latest in our Business and Human Rights podcast series. My name is Rachel Barrett. I'm a partner in the Linklater's Business and Human Rights team and specialise in ESG. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Vanessa Havard-William, uh, a partner of mine who heads up ESG at the firm. We're also joined by Maria Knapp and Claire Morton from Control Risks. Maria is a partner focused on ESG issues and Claire is a specialist in ESG due diligence, which is very relevant to the topic that we're going to be talking about today. Today's podcast focuses on how you can integrate business and human rights due diligence into business as usual. We often find uh, that organizations find business and human rights due diligence quite challenging. Uh, it's quite new to many and it often feels like quite a lot of work to get set up. But in fact, it's actually possible to integrate it into what you're already doing uh, and possible to take quite a sensible, streamlined and efficient approach that works for your business. So we're going to explore that a little bit today. So Maria, I'd be really keen to hear what, what you mean when we say integrating business and human rights due diligence into business as usual. And why should companies think about it in that way? Thanks, Rachel, um, and delighted to join you in this conversation today. To approach the question around what we mean by integrating business and human rights due diligence into business as usual, I think it's useful to think about what the um, counterfactual is. What, what's the alternative? Is really building um, a, a, a separate and distinct work stream addressing um, business and human rights issues, and and. There's very clear arguments for not doing that and instead uh, looking at questions around organizational efficiency and effectiveness and assessing um, what you already have in your organization to build on. In our experience, uh, most companies have already built a significant architecture around audits, um, grievance, ma grievance management, um, investigations, and due diligence, which typically sit within the remit of a compliance team, but that varies, of course, from organization to organization. And many companies have already um, invested in technology platforms like compliance um, SaaS to manage these processes. And those who have will appreciate how time intensive those are to implement. Um, and I think really uh, many companies have already um, uh, implemented uh, effective um, uh, stakeholder engagement plans that are so essential to the success of uh, both financial crime and business and human rights due diligence. So I'm thinking here of things like surveys and, and training and, and back to those grievance mechanisms I mentioned within their existing compliance and integrity process. Um, so our view is that it really makes sense wherever possible to join forces on the supply chain and broader third-party due diligence for human rights at the same time as the other risk factors that are already um, in your compliance program. And, and having gone through the exercise ourselves of integrating sustainability risk factors into our model due diligence methodology um, and into our questionnaires, we've found that they actually slot pretty neatly within existing processes. That's really interesting. And Claire, I know this is something that you have lots of experience in. I'd be really keen to hear what, what, what you've seen that works well. What makes that successful? Um, I think one example um, that springs to mind for us that is kind of 
really illustrative of a, of a process that works well on a couple of different levels um, and also draws upon um, some of the recommendations that we give to clients. Um, we're working with a global multinational who has an extensive operational footprint and supply chain uh, across more than 30 countries and who has recognised the need to integrate human rights into their business as usual process. Um, so they're very aware that they have a diversified footprint and supply chain and that the human rights issues that they are likely to face really varies from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Um, so what they've done is to establish an internal human rights working group um, who we're working alongside to provide due diligence and, and mapping on human rights risk um, country by country um, and also benchmarking their current approach against industry peers. Um, so the setting up this in, internal team is, is a really important step and something that we would recommend um, as it makes it clear who is responsible for managing this process and it also ensures that different stakeholders from throughout the business are represented. The second stage, once we've analysed those findings, is to provide guidance on human rights policy, uh, procedures and, and training, to so working with them to assess where gaps are, um, perhaps where they can recalibrate existing processes and skills, or maybe even where they need new skill sets. Um, so all of this is working towards that goal of ensuring that, that human rights does become fully integrated into the businesses uh, wider risk management approach. And dare I ask, what, what doesn't work so well when it comes to integrating business and human rights due diligence into your business as usual framework? Um, well, what we think doesn't work, work so well uh, is really when you approach human rights due diligence as, as just a controlled issue. Um, so we're all familiar with the process of conducting uh, you know, ABC and sanctions due diligence. Um, and that also how companies respond when they identify issues, which is normally by adjusting those controls that they that they have in place. Um, human rights questions and assessments need to be more nuanced. So yes, there are issues to be managed, but the process can also be used to identify uh, opportunities to enhance a business's operational approach, um, whether that be through the introduction of HSE training, um, you know, forcing a reflection on how community engagement can benefit the business um, and, and making sure that companies identify practical remediation methods that can have a real positive impact, you know, kind of on the ground. Um, so companies can use the infrastructure that's already in place for assessing ABC risks. Um, and you do want an integrated process. You, you want it all to work well together. But the solutions and the remedial actions that will, that will kind of come out of that process for human rights risks will be slightly different and will typically go beyond those you know, controls that we're used to. And this is something that will be you know, in the long term well received um, by the business, uh, by investors and by a range of other external stakeholders as well. That's really interesting and, and good tips for people. I think, um, Vanessa, when we work on, on matters in this area, we often find that actually businesses are probably doing a little bit more than they realise, even though perhaps those things are not badged as human rights uh, controls or processes. Um, could you explore that a little bit for us? Yes, that, that's right, Rachel. I think where they've got salient human rights risks, we often find that they will have a range of different procedures, 
and, and processes in place that pick up some of the elements that go to managing those risks, though they may not be joined up or they may not really think about them as being human rights focused. So if you're looking at supplier risk or own account risk, often you'll find things in, in policies and codes of conduct. Um, you might also see um, requirements in procurement processes, um, whether those are uh, supplier due diligence questionnaires, whether it's a decision making structure or wording in RFPs for um, procurement processes. Um, and also in, in, in the decision making when you select a supplier. Um, and in terms of the use of products, you may also see um, limits or obligations in terms of use policies. So that's obviously it probably in, in the smaller number of instances. The other piece that's also quite relevant is grievance mechanisms, which most companies will have and which increasing numbers are opening up to a wider range of um, complainants. So those are all areas to look for, but typically they won't be connected and people may not be knowing that they are bringing human rights issues into that process consciously. Picking up from that, Rachel, when we've worked on governance models, so once we've looked at what people have got and you're looking more to create a system that is interconnected, what are the things that, that you would typically get clients to think about? So, so I guess that really starts with with some groundwork. So we will take some time to understand the backdrop against which the relevant organization is operating. And I know we talked a bit about that, I think, on our last podcast. So understanding their environment um, and, and the risks uh, of impacts to others and the risks to their business is a really important piece of context because what you do uh, obviously needs to be uh, a proportionate and, and relevant to your operating environment and to you as a business. And we also uh, would start by, as you've said, looking very closely at what the business is already doing, how they're set up, how they're organised, and then in particular focusing on what systems and controls they have in place uh, to actually address human rights issues, even if they're not labelled as, as human rights. And, and as you've said, quite often people are doing more than they realise. It's often quite difficult to, to really establish those things um, by looking at documents. So we'll, we will look at policies and we will look at uh, procedural documents. But what really matters is what people do in practice and, and whether they understand why they're doing it. So we'll often go in, obviously, and, and talk to people um, to really gauge that understanding um, and get a good sense of how risks and impacts are being picked up and dealt with in practice um, against the, the existing set of controls within the business. Um, obviously, off the back of, of those two bits of work, we can then take a bit more of a joined up pro approach to establishing what gaps the business might want to plug and how they might want to then overlay a human rights related governance model onto that. And that's where I, I think, Claire and Maria, you talked about um, uh, 
examples of steering committees and the likes you've seen in other businesses that is very much what we would be looking to establish as well so um, uh, making sure that issues can be properly identified that people understand the process and criteria for escalating them which can be a little bit different sometimes for, for human rights um, issues and understanding what material or salient means in this context getting that up to the right place, having a committee or a working group or some other body that has the right balance of participation, the right skills, um, the right level of expertise, uh, who can consider issues and, and really help decide what to do next with them, because that can be really quite a complicated and, and, and nuanced approach. And then making sure that, that within that model, there's also a process for reporting. So whether that's being transparent publicly about what you're doing or reporting to your board uh, or senior management so that people actually really know uh, what is going on within the business uh, and risks and impacts can be properly managed and addressed. So in many respects, very similar to what you would do uh, for any other type of, of um, serious business risk but perhaps with some tweaks to make sure you have the right expertise outlook uh, and, and more of a, um, um, uh, an outward looking focus, because a lot of this obviously is, is less about risks of the business and more about impacts on others, which is a really important uh, differentiator when it comes to human rights. Maria, I'd be really interested to get your thoughts on this. Um, obviously, we, we've had experience integrating these models in, into people's businesses. Um, but I'm keen to hear what you've seen that works well or indeed doesn't work well and how you've helped clients um, embed business and human rights due diligence into their, their business as usual processes. I mentioned earlier we had looked at um, integrating, for instance, sustainability risk factors in a number of the things that we do, like um, third party um, and supply chain management and, and questionnaires and due diligence. And, and that's a process that is really iterative um, and different with every with every organization that we work with. Um, but uh, but a quick win, I think. Um, I think key to the success of uh, an integrated approach is really the acknowledgement that human rights due diligence requires a strong understanding of the issues, a strong subject matter expertise. We've, we've all mentioned that already in this conversation. And I think where it's really important um, as a success factor is in terms of what to look for. Um, and um, this is especially important because regimes like the EU mandatory due diligence um, uh, proposal I think aim deliberately to give responsibility to companies to, to calibrate these issues for the nature of their activities, their industry sector, et cetera. And what that means when it comes to um, you know, crafting and implementing really effective programs is looking around the business um, internally and considering what stakeholders could play a larger part in this. So where there is internal expertise on, on the ground operational issues, community issues, um, and uh, and some of the other kind of sustainability um, and impact factors. Also looking externally at where that skills and experience needs to be brought in. Um, and so sometimes the question is around skills development, sometimes it's skills acquisition. Um, but getting that balance right is, um, is really where we think you can, um, as an organization, build on your existing architecture, but also identify opportunities for um, really uh, focusing and, and calibrating your your approach to um, the specificities of, of human business and human rights issues. The other thing I'd add is um, it's always important to be careful what you've said you're going to do externally. 
and make sure that what your internal process provides for aligns with with what you're saying you're doing or you adjust what you're saying you're doing because sometimes you can get real mismatch i think that's definitely right well that was really interesting i think there's a couple of of key takeaways at least that i had from that that it might be helpful to recap i mean i think certainly that the, the 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 main one is that you can build this to a large extent into your existing processes that you will have in place which will be welcome news to a lot of people there are clearly some very important tweaks that you, you have to make to adapt for human rights, um, but you don't need a whole new system. <clears throat> and in fact, it may not be in your interests uh, or, or anyone's interests uh, to actually have a completely separate siloed independent human rights due diligence system. Um, I think our experience um, certainly has been that people are often already doing more than they realise. It just takes a little bit of work to identify the, those things and actually understand them and then piece them together with the right, right badging uh, into a coherent framework. Um, and of course, there are likely to be a few gaps that need to be plugged um, and, and some governance overlaid on top of that. That's, that's a really critical part of all of this. And that's where I think um, uh, support um, and expertise can really be very, very helpful. Vanessa, I don't know if you had any other takeaways from, from this you thought were worth highlighting. Uh, I can think of two. Make sure that people in the organisation um, who are decision makers understand why this is a relevant area and becoming increasingly relevant and that the necessary decision makers in, in human rights due diligence or uh, in relation to an impact assessment have been trained so they understand what they're looking for and what good looks like. And also benchmark your approach pretty regularly. This area is changing so quickly and, and also the world is just becoming um, a, a slightly more scary space, space in some places and we have to be aware of it. So we have to adapt as, as the externalities change. Great. Well, thank you very much to everyone for joining the discussion today. I think there've been some really useful insights um, and, and good takeaways, hopefully for our listeners. Um, I hope everyone has enjoyed listening to our business and human rights podcast series. Uh, more podcasts are available on our website. Um, so do visit uh, the link later's ESG hub and the control risks website if you'd like further information on this topic.